Good morning. It's a real joy, genuine joy to see all of you here today. Whether this is your very first day or you've been here for years or anywhere in between. I said that last week, it's because I mean it with all my heart. I also said this week, this last week, and I want to say it again. I want to congratulate you that you made a wise choice by being here this morning. In in the Bible, wise choices, and that's what we're talking about right now, is wise choices are deeper than just simple right or wrong. Could I get in trouble or could I get rewarded? Those are kind of a childlike level of maturity, and that's that. Those are important decisions. Those do matter. If we ignore the simple, this is right, this is wrong things in Scripture, we are really in danger. (laughs) That is not a good place to be. But wisdom in Scripture is deeper than that. It takes into account all of God's rules. It takes into account logic and things that we can think through. It takes into account just the way things work in life. It takes into so many different things. And then it chooses the most strategic, the most best possible choice we could possibly make at that moment and does it. And I believe with all my heart, like I said last week, that if you are trying to follow Jesus... If you really want to get to know him better, if you really want to have your life mirror what God wanted it to mirror, then the best place you could possibly be, the most strategic place you could be on a Sunday morning is at a church that teaches the Bible, that tries their best to follow it, that builds their lives on Jesus Christ, that worships Jesus, that listens for the leading of the Holy Spirit, follows that to the glory of God the Father. We're not saying we're the only people who do that, but we, this is what we do. This is who we are, and you're here this morning. You didn't just think of that. You didn't just say, you know what, I think, a good, I think church attendance is a good thing. You showed up. You actually made a strategic choice. You got it done, and that means you're wise, and I'm proud of you. Good job. So there you go. Um, before we move on from this, though, uh, several people have asked me about this logo, and I want to make sure you get it. We, the, all of these series have kind of matching logos. If you go back and listen online to these messages, they're all round and they're all very symbolic. This one is not, I, I've been asked, this is not Pac-Man turned purple and growing teeth. This is not, this is not it. This is the temple curtain ripping. It's a keyhole view of the temple ripping. This series is called Behind the Curtain wise choices. And at what God did when Jesus died, the, tur- the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And that was him inviting us to not only approach him closer than we'd ever been able to before, but to actually come in there and join him to see the world from his perspective. That's what we're doing this time. That's what that symbolizes. See, Jesus always saw everything from a completely different perspective than those around him. He saw the whole world from God's perspective, from what the Bible calls a holy or a set apart, a different perspective. Because it's God, because it's, because it's Jesus, of course, it also means clean and pure. But at its heart, holy means different, set apart. And when we see things from behind the curtain, when we see things from God's perspective, it's going to look different than it used to even to us ourselves. Jesus wasn't afraid of that. He never even tried to be politically correct. He wasn't a salesman at all. He didn't try to make it look better than it was. He knew he had the best possible message there was, but he just told it and laid it on the line. And if people didn't take it, then he wasn't. Much more like a used car salesman, Jesus was more like the man in black in The Princess Bride. Remember when he said, life is pain, highness. Anyone who tells you differently is selling something. That sounds like something Jesus would say. 
He just went, well, this is how it is. I'm sorry. But Jesus did have the most complete, life-shaping, eternal, life-giving hope there was. And he was very clear about it. And when he had something to say, no matter how confusing or weird it sounded, he just said it. We've looked at several of those the last several weeks. For example, he said that God blesses those who are poor. And he blesses those who are poor in spirit. As in, everyone who knows that they need God and they need other people. When we're in a spot, when we get that. When we acknowledge that we have a deep need, God blesses you. He says that God blesses you when you are 100% committed to him, when you have a pure heart. That when you, He blesses you when you crave righteousness more than anything else. You will not settle for anything but God's will in your life. And he also said this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourn? Wouldn't you have rather, I would have, wouldn't you have rather he said, blessed are those who are never have to mourn? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Would you like it if he said, blessed are those who are protected, blessed are those who are pampered, blessed are those who indulged, who never have anything bad ever happen. Just come and join my team and watch how that happens for you. But he never said that because it wasn't true. And Jesus always spoke the truth. And here's something that Jesus knew that we must never forget. And if you're keeping notes today, this is where the notes start. And if you're not, that's okay. But I encourage you to use the back of that same place where the prayer requests are. There's a, you could use that as a Bible study later and go back over these truths yourself. But here's the first statement I'd like you to read with me. I hope that we all embrace this and understand this. Eternity in heaven is the celebration, not the plan. Let's say that one more time. Ready? Eternity in heaven is the celebration, not the plan. And we sell Jesus short. We sell his vision short. We sell his commands to us short if all we think that he wants, that he died and rose and all the other things that he did, all he wanted from us was, oh, oh, please, Father, just let them show up in heaven someday. Heaven in Scripture is so clearly a promise on the other side. We can only ever have hope of reaching there because of Jesus. But all of his teachings and all of his commands and everything is about what happens here. And we must not forget that. And that is why Jesus said, you know what? As long as you're here, things are going to be rough. He said that in many different ways. But there is a celebration on the other side. I believe that's at least one of the things that he meant by blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Let's say that together if you would, these words of Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Here's two other things that I've all throughout ever since Jesus said this, most believers have assumed that he meant at least these two things. In my experience, and I'm sure probably in yours, every time I come back to the same scriptures, God shows me some other thing I didn't think of. Maybe not every time, but a lot. You know what I'm talking about? You, you, there's just minds of, but at least these two truths, at least these two, always keep coming back and what he meant by that. One is just obvious. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted is God promises to comfort the people who are mourning. <laughs> when you are open about your pain, when you, when you allow yourself to acknowledge this is a dark season, this is a moment that hurts, this is something that is not okay, there is comfort on the other side of that. Whereas when we just bottle it up, when we pretend, when we wear a mask, it's not okay. 
Like my father said just a couple of weeks ago, we've got to take off whatever mask that we're wearing if we hope to grow, if we hope to become at all like Jesus. The second thing that it always means, blessed are those who mourn, is that we learn to grieve sin the way that God does. That not only our, our sin, but even just sin in general out in the world just breaks our heart. That our hearts start to grieve, start to break with the things that break the heart of God. Whether that, again, is something on a, a global level or whether that is something in our neighborhood, something within the church, within this church, within your family, within you. That when you know that there is something that is breaking God's heart, as you, little by little, start to see everything in life from that view behind that torn curtain, little by little, you start to grieve the things that God grieves. And there's not only comfort on the other side of that, there is change. So one more time, we grieve sin the way he does, That's if you're filling in these blanks, and also when we open up, change and healing begin. Would you say that with me? I really want this to stick. When we open up, change and healing begins. God is all about acknowledging the truth and speaking truth and changing us in real time, not pretending, not faking it in any way. One of the characters in the Bible that most of the stories we tell about him are great because most of the time he was great was King David. King David, I, I, I know you know a bunch of his stories probably by heart because they're such great stories. For example, David and Goliath, even people who don't believe in Jesus usually know these stories. He was a good dude. He was a mighty warrior. He loved God. He was a great songwriter. He was a powerful worship leader. He was, in general, he was a good king and a good leader. He was a, he was a good man, a faithful friend, an honest person. He showed respect to the people God had put in authority over him, even when sometimes they themselves did not deserve respect. You go on and on about David most of his life, but David had what I like to call a 2 Samuel 11 moment. In 2 Samuel 11, he abandoned everything that made him great. He stopped fighting, so he wasn't being a good warrior. He, instead of staying home and doing kingly things, he wasn't doing any kingly things. He wasn't writing any songs. He wasn't worshiping. He wasn't doing any of that. He was walking around bored on top of his palace and he spiraled downward and downward until it ended up into adultery and into um, murder and all kinds of terrible things. And I'm pretty sure you know that story and I don't need to tell it to you, but I want you to see what's happening here. Because at the end of 2 Samuel 11, listen, here's what David did. He just moved on. He thought he'd gotten by with it. He thought it was okay. He was good. And what he didn't realize was that he had removed himself from the path of God's blessing. He had taken himself out of the, the, all of God's conditional promises. And I need you to remember this as well this morning. Is we must never forget that many of God's blessings, many of his promises are conditional. They're conditional. He says, if you do this, then I will do this. When you do this, I will do this. If or when 
Those are conditional promises. And we love to talk about how God's love is unconditional. We're coming to that. There's 2 Samuel 12 as well as 11. But hold on for just a moment. Before we see the evidence of God's unconditional love, you've got to see that his blessing is not always conditional. He expects us to do things his way. And he says, if you do this, then I will do this. If we don't, he may or he may not, but he's off the hook. That was a conditional blessing, a conditional promise. And in this moment of David's life, he had taken himself completely out of the path of all of the blessings. God had said, if you follow me, if you do this, if you do this, I will make you great and all your, all your generations will follow. At this moment in David's time, he's out of that. He's out of that loop. Now we see God's unconditional love. Because God didn't stop there, he sent the prophet Nathan to come to David and to tell him a story, tell him, to appeal to him as an artist, to, to let him know, he, to connect on the best possible way there could connect with somebody who was wired the way David was wired. And through this story and through the Holy Spirit moving in that moment, David finally saw his sin. Up till that point, he had not. He was not mourning for his sin, but suddenly when he got it, when he realized what he had done, he mourned. He grieved. He didn't eat for a week. He cried. He prayed out loud. He prayed silently. He spent a long time just laying on the ground with his face flat down before God. He wrote a song. We still sing it. We'll read a few words from it in a moment called Psalm 51. He processed where he had been. And as he opened up about his sin, as he grieved the things that God was grieving, he brought not only experienced God's unconditional love and grace and mercy, but he also brought himself back by his choices, by his wise choices into the path of God's blessing. This is God's plan for each one of us when we fail. Would you read these words this morning from Psalm 51? Let's read these together, and I challenge you to read all of this passage later on today on your own. Psalm 51. Let's read these together and pray it as a prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. When David allowed himself to mourn his sin, to mourn the upcoming punishment God was about to give him, to mourn for what he had done, what he could not take back, to feel it, to own it, and then to take that to God and just throw himself at God's feet. He experienced what God spoke through the prophet Isaiah when Isaiah wrote, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. This was hundreds and hundreds of years before the Apostle Paul lived, but it's the same idea as 2 Corinthians 7 when Paul wrote, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Would you read that one with me? Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. 
When my boys were little, um, they, like all children, boys and girls, cried quite a bit. These days, I'm actually a little bit embarrassed about it. I, I think I cry more than they did even then. I, things just get me more than they used to. Um, it's kind of embarrassing, really. But I remember trying to train them to be men, and I remember they'd be just distraught over something that wasn't a big deal. And I remember saying many, many times, hey, it's okay, you can cry. Men cry, it's all right. But you don't have to scream that loud. <laughs> and you don't have to keep crying for a really, really long time. You can, you can kind of move on. And, and I'm sure they could always quote that little speech to you, that, like, because this, this was something that I, I wanted them to know, that you, as a man, you don't have to just suck it up and never show emotion, but at the, you, God, God said, I knew this, I wanted them to understand this, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, that's okay. But this is the one warning in the midst of this I need to give you, because I'm trying to encourage you to mourn, I'm encouraging you to open up and let it all out, and to really process and deal with it, but please don't get stuck there. Don't miss the point. Don't, don't miss the point that they, there is comfort, there is change, there is healing on the other side of the openness. It's not just that we take off the mask. It's not just that we're real about it. He doesn't want us to stay there either. He's okay with us being there, but he, he wants to move us beyond that. In the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Dr. Stephen Covey has some really practical advice that's helped me in many areas of my life. I've been sharing that and will continue to over the course of this, this series. Um, just a quick reminder and also an application of how you could apply these things to this specific issue. Really quick this morning. The first one was to be proactive, to act within your circle of influence, which is the things that you control. There are very few things that we actually control, but you do have some choices you can make that actually affect you and the people around you, and you do that. So in this case, to act proactively, to act within your circle of influence, nobody else can take off your mask for you. Take off your mask. Nobody else can, can do business with God on this level and start to mourn your sin, to mourn the missed opportunities that you've let go by, to mourn for the lost, to mourn for injustice in the world and within your life and within the church and wherever there is injustice. Only you can actually make that choice and feel that. I hope that me and anyone else who ever tells you that is inspiring you to do that, but I can't make that choice for you. That is a choice you have to make. So be proactive and act in your circle of inference. Mourn where you need to mourn. Second thing was to begin with the end in mind. You, you, you figure out on the other side of this, I really want to be healed. On the other side of this, I want to have actually processed this and won. I want to be more like Jesus. I want on the other side of this to have been transformed just a little bit more. I want to experience that comfort God promises. And therefore, you make that choice for that. But I also encourage you to remember that Jesus always acts with the end in mind. Jesus always does that. And that makes a lot of the things that he does or doesn't do make a lot more sense. That's why a lot of the things that tear us up, he doesn't seem to care about. Because he's got a bigger plan in mind all the time. These are why verses like in Ecclesiastes 7 where it says, it's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of laughter. What? Well, it's because it helps us keep the end in mind. 
It helps us remember that we only have a finite amount of time and talents and treasure, and we only get one shot at it. So it's very important that we invest that wisely. Sometimes mourning is more valuable than celebrating because it reminds us of that. It's why Jesus was willing to be known as a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering and grief. Sometimes that's what it takes. And when you start with the end in mind, you realize that God always does. Stuff starts making more sense. Dr. Eric Mason writes this. We have to have room in the church to be honest with where we are. We have to learn not to fix people real quick when they begin sharing their hearts and their hurts. If God can listen, so can we. I think this is incredibly powerful, not only because I really have a lot of respect for Dr. Mason, and this makes sense to me personally, but because it harmonized so well with the verse we looked at last week from James that said we've got to be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to become angry. And that is the first step in changing. Dr. Mason also writes about the scriptural idea of lamenting. Lamenting is very similar to mourning, but usually it's, it's more about, it's, it's really focused on the things that break the heart of God, for one thing, and it's usually bigger than just ourselves. It's where we ask God, why? Why does this happen? How long is it going to be till you act on this? When are you going to show up in this area? Why, why are you allowing it to be this way? And when we also grieve our own sin, he writes this. He says, lament is about entering into the experience of brokenness and being honest about it. I'm going to take off, this isn't a mask I've been wearing, but I'm just going to be really open about something that breaks my heart, that I really believe breaks God's heart, that we don't talk about a lot in church. And and I hope that this isn't seen as political or anything. Anybody who knows me knows way better than that. I am not a political person. But uh, this is something I believe is breaking God's heart and something that the church in general, and maybe specifically Morrison Hill, is being called to do. But this is something else from Dr. Mason. He says specifically that we should lament. And I'm just sharing this with you openly. This is something that I lament. This is something that breaks my heart. And I'm praying that this is something that, that we all can be more open to. But he says we, the church should lament that there is racial division in the church that the reason that there is a caucasian congregation and a african-american congregation that the only place there's still segregation in america today is in churches we should lament that we should lament not only the fact but the fact that the reason that happened is because of racism in the past and nobody's ever gone back to fix that They had to start a new church because they were not allowed to serve or to lead or to do any of the other things within the white churches. They couldn't obey God. They couldn't live out this action kind of faith that Jesus actually taught within the congregations. They were trying to do that, so they had to start their own. And Dr. Mason says we should lament that. And we should lament that the loudest voices, the voices that everyone hears crying out for justice and equality is not the church. It's people who don't even have the whole answer. People who don't even have the truth, don't even have the hope that Jesus offers, have no idea about it. They actually, many of them oppose it, but they're the ones crying out for justice and equality, not the church. We should lament that. And when we open up about that, 
When we open up ourselves to God and we invite him to allow us to see his perspective on this, maybe he's going to call us to do something about it. C.S. Lewis wrote, I thought I could describe a state to make a map of sorrow. Sorrow, however, turns out to be not a state, but a process. This is what I need you to understand more than anything this morning. Whether God is putting something on your heart this morning that's intensely personal, or something that just applies to your own family or your smallest circle of influence, or this whole church, or maybe, maybe this country or the whole world, wherever that is, I want you to know that in God's mind, in Jesus' mind, that mourning and suffering and all those things, he sees them as a process. No matter how, else we, how deep we could go down into the whys and the wherefores in the house, this is what you need to know. This is something that he sees as, as a means to an end. And that when we really, really, really understand that, that's where the hope comes. So if you're grieving this morning, grieve. If you're a sinning, you need to, you need to grieve. If there's something in your heart today, something in your life that's an unrepentant sin, something that is just wrong, something you, you, you've just been moving on like David, you need to abandon this 2 Samuel 11 season of your life and move straight into the 2 Samuel 12 season that is waiting on the other side. If, you, if you've got to work through the, the stages of grief, you've got to do whatever you have to do to find the healing and the change and the comfort on the other side. And it's there. And one of the most effective ways you can do that, one of Jesus' biggest dreams about how we do that is to turn our focus off of ourselves and onto others. He always calls us through each one of these things, craving righteousness and having a pure heart and mourning and all these. He's always going to call us to look outward. He's always going to call us to serve somehow. And listen, see if you can pick up the pattern in this. Mourners can't help but obey the great commission and the greatest commandments. They just can't help it. Because here's what happens. When you mourn for the lost, when you mourn for the poor, and those who have been trampled, those who have been marginalized, you go. When you mourn for the shallow, when you mourn for the lukewarm, for the people that like to just dip their toes into God, and you know that they're not getting it, guess what you're, you get passionate about doing? Making disciples. Are you starting to see the pattern here? When you start mourning for those who are not committed 100%, whether that's literally through immersion in water as a, as a step toward that, or whether that's metaphorically immersing yourself completely into God the very first time. If you know someone hasn't done that and you're mourning that, guess what? You're going to be inspired to baptize them. Is this starting to make sense? You see where this is going? It's the Great Commission. When you mourn for those who are confused, who are rebellious, who are not obeying, you're, you're going to be motivated to teach them to obey. And the more that we do this, the more Jesus' presence becomes real and tangible in our lives. And the more that happens, the more we just naturally grieve along with him. You know how it is when you're next to someone and they start crying? Even if you're not a crier, you're moved by that. You know what I'm talking about? And sometimes you well up, just you don't even feel what they're feeling, but just because they feel it, you do. When you're that close to Christ, when he's tore up about stuff, you start getting tore up about it. And stuff happens. 
Change happens. So here's what I challenge you to do this morning as, we, as the band comes back up and as we start to, to make a commitment to him this morning. Here's what I ask you to do. Take just a moment. I'm going to stop talking for just a moment while they come up here. Here's what I want you to do. If you can write it down. You can just pray. Close your eyes. Do what you need to do. But what is God asking you to mourn this morning? And what is he asking you to put first? The third thing from Covey that I wanted to introduce you this morning, and as they come, they're going to just start, if you don't mind, just kind of play for a second. Here, here, here's, here's what he says. You've got to put first things first. And if you're in a moment right now where God is asking you to mourn and to find what he has for you on the other side of that, you've got to figure out what is it he wants you to do in that. And then in a moment as we stand and sing, do what you need to do to actually get there.